0: recovery elevator episode 18
1: when you know that there's something wrong with you but you just don't know exactly what it is it's really really exhausting and it keeps you up at night so i'm just like i'm thrilled i don't have that in my life anymore
0: welcome to the recovery elevator podcast my name is paul thank you so much for joining us according to the recovery elevator sobriety tracker app on my iphone i have been sober for nine months one week and six days On today's podcast, I'm gonna discuss the movie The Anonymous People, which is a must watch if you are in recovery or thinking about quitting drinking. After that, I've got Tim from sobernation.com on the podcast, he's gonna share his story. Tim decided to take recovery in his own hands. He started a movement called Sober Nation, and nation, that is an understatement. He has an online nation of over 200,000 followers. That's larger than the population of Monaco, which is a country. But first, let's talk about the movie The Anonymous People. Where did I find about this anonymous movie? Well, I found out about it from Sober Nation. It was a blog post written by Tim in August of 2014. I was like, hmm, let me check this out. Because at that point, when I was reading the blog posts on Sober Nation, I was right in the middle of it. Now, this blog post could not have been written at a better time. It was a time when I was extremely shameful of my addiction, my secret of being an alcoholic. Basically, the movie, The Anonymous People, unveils just that. The people are not anonymous anymore. And some people look at the movie like it's an attack on AA, but most of those people, they aren't in recovery. It's not an attack on AA. To me, this movie just calls it how it really is. There are 23 million Americans in recovery, Who don't really have a voice but there are double that amount almost triple that amount that are not seeking the recovery that they need what's almost just as pernicious as this disease itself is the secrecy the veil that we hide behind because that shame it prevents so many people from getting help and this movie did receive a lot of criticism from critics that's their job. It's in their job description, critics. But I can guarantee you, these critics, they're not in recovery. And it's going to be a tough topic to write on if you really know nothing about the topic. So you got to take all that criticism with a grain of salt because they are drinking the Haterade and it's part of their job description. This documentary talks about the infamous just say no program, right? That we all grew up with. It's simple, guys. Just say no to drugs and alcohol. It's really just that simple. Well, I don't know. Maybe you watched the Why Not Budweiser marketing campaign and you just thought it looked like so much fun to have to drink a beer. Or maybe there's that one guy. He doesn't always drink beer, but when he does, it's Dose Equis. Man, those guys look pretty darn cool. Maybe it's Guns N' Roses, that lavish rock star lifestyle that you want to be part of. You want to try it out too. You want just the taste. But you never hear the campaign, just say no, dot, 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 But if you do, here's some resources for you. You don't hear about that. All of our resources are directed to the just say no part. But once you do say yes, to find those resources are pretty difficult. And a lot of times those people just get locked up. The real issue at hand never even gets addressed. I don't want to tell you everything that is talked about in this documentary, so please, you just got to see it. It's called The Anonymous People. I saw it on Netflix in 2014, and I also saw it again a couple weeks ago. I'm probably going to watch it again in a couple months. It is a must-see, because my addiction, a lot of times, it erases the whiteboard of my memory, and I need to re-watch and rehear these things over and over and over and say, oh yeah, this is a disease. I'm not the only one. We are going to get into the interview segment of this show because I'm excited to have Tim from Sober Nation on the podcast. This guy is genuine. We were chatting before our interview and he just opened up an office in Florida. He tells his employees, although even it's a job, not to do the job, seeking money. Do the job to help other people and eventually the rewards will come. Basically what he's saying is that famous quote by, I think it's Zig Ziglar help other people get what they want, and eventually, you'll get what you want. This guy, Tim, is the real deal, he plays for keeps, and I am so excited to have him on the podcast. And Recovery Elevator, I'd like to welcome Tim to the podcast, how are you, Tim?
1: I'm doing great, Paul, thank you.
0: Recovery Elevator, we have a special guest. Tim is in recovery himself. However, he has a movement. It is called Sober Nation. And we will get into more about what Sober Nation is at the end of this interview because I tried to give Sober Nation credit in one podcast and it was an abysmal failure because I just simply could not give all the resources. I didn't know all the knowledge about Sober Nation. So I'm excited that I have Tim here. And and Tim, how, how are you doing today?
1: Uh, I'm doing great. Uh, you and I talked a little bit before. Uh, I'm still recovering from Bonnaroo, actually. it's It's been about two or three days back, but uh getting,
0: <laughs> getting a little better every day. But man, it's rough. I want to get right into that Bonnaroo thing. But the first question I ask every interviewee is, how long have you been sober? Um,
1: a little over five years. I uh, March 4th, 2010. Well, you know, it, it's funny. I think that's my date. The truth is, I don't really remember. But um, I, I kind of decided once once I got some of the cobwebs out that March fourth sounded <laughs> about the right time. But uh, so yeah, March fourth, March fourth, two thousand and ten. So I guess five years, a couple months
0: it's funny you say the word cobwebs because I know exactly what you mean with that. There's a haze. There's a fog. There is an uneasiness of a storm inside your brain when you're drinking, right? And right around September 7th, which is my sobriety date, it's all just that. It's hazy. It's foggy. My memory is distant and faint. I know the date, but the details leading up to that date, they're not very clear, Tim. But let's get into Bonnaroo, right? My last podcast, I talked about how to stay sober in a social, Gathering now, Bonnaroo might just be way more than a social gathering. First off, tell us about sure. Bonnaroo, and you, you know you've you got five years of sobriety, so you were sober for Bonnaroo. How did you do it?
1: I've I've always taken the approach. Don't get me wrong; I wouldn't recommend going to a music festival in like your first couple months of recovery. It can be a little overwhelming, even even for me. Um, there's definitely a couple instances where you know you'll get offered drugs or whatever, and you gotta it, it just kind of throws you off a little bit. I don't know, I've always just been under the uh, the mind frame that I, 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 I'm not going through all this and, and getting clean and sober to sit in a room, you know, I love music, I love concerts, I've loved it my entire life, and if I can't do that, I just won't be a happy person, so... It's great. Me and a lot of my best friends uh, for the past couple of years, we, we fly into Atlanta, we rent an RV, we, we drive up to Tennessee, and we just hang out and listen to music for four or five days. It's, it's really the best. It's like it's a, a refreshing experience.
0: That sounds incredible. And, and Recovery Elevator, the best part about doing this podcast are the stories—the stories of happiness while being sober, listening to these amazing bands at Bonnaroo, but also the stories that remind me of, of how bad it was. And and Tim. I want to hear your story. I'm excited to hear about it. So talk to me about your elevator, right? Referencing the podcast title, when did you realize that, man, it's time to stop using or stop drinking? Tell us a little bit about yourself and, and, and just take it from there for a little bit.
1: You know, I, I, I appreciate the opportunity. Every time I've ever spoken at, at a meeting or, or spoken in front, of, um, in front of young people, the The one thing I always talk about in my message was my bottom because I think it's really interesting how it works. And I say that because, you know, all the times I was thrown in jail, you know, I I had some violent things happen to me. None of it really mattered. But the point when it actually hit that uh, gut-wrenching emptiness, you know, I, I was in California. My mother came along with a really complicated, really rare brain disorder. I don't want to get too into it, but pretty much what happens is everybody has like little bleeds in your brain when like you you learn new things and you forget things and like synapses move around and it's normal and they just dissolve. But for whatever reason, um, the blood in my mom's brain stopped dissolving. So she ended up with a, a walnut sized ball of sort of hard blood on her brainstem. And so, you know, she was she was probably going to die. We all flew out to Stanford. There's only like one surgeon that we could find that would even do it because it's it's super risky. I mean, tinkering around in, in someone's brain and especially their brainstem, like obviously it's a tough surgery. So I flew out there. It was one of the worst detoxes I ever had. I flew from Philly to Phoenix and then from Phoenix to Stanford. It was like seven hours. I remember just being so sick. And then when I got there... My mom came into the hotel room, and she was pushed in the wheelchair. And she pretty much asked if I would come to her to this uh, this pre doctor appointment. I guess you would call it, where you know the the surgeon was going to hold like a little model of the brain and sort of explain the procedure and all that stuff. And she asked if I would come because you know I'm her oldest. I'm her oldest. I'm her first son. My mother had me when she was really, really young. We've always had a really, really close relationship and she was just scared, you know, like she was just really terrified and uh, I was so sick, I told her no and as soon as they they got out of the room, um, you know, I was an opiate addict so I kind of did my thing. I don't know how how vulgar you want me to get about it and I just remember feeling that rush where all my withdrawals kind of instantly went away and it was like... You know, like, ah, I, I remember just sitting on this desk in this hotel room and looking out the window and just thinking to myself, like, man, I get, this is bad. Because you know, I always knew I, I was one of those people that I wasn't necessarily in denial. I knew what I was. I didn't care. I liked it. I, I knew that I couldn't do it forever. But it was really at that exact moment where it just kind of hit me like, shit, I just abandoned my mother who, you know, raised me on her own with like no money her whole life. And, uh, it just, it just hit me. That was it. And then miraculously, she survived the surgery. And I actually um, heard the news and then went out for a day with my sister through California and through San Francisco and, you know, got into a little bit of trouble. And when I came home, we all just almost kind of sat down. Everybody knew it was like, all right, like, what are we going to do about this? And, you know, my my father and my uncle had sort of approached me and uh, had a conversation. And the next day, there wasn't even really a fight on my end. Like I, I knew it was time. I knew I needed help. And I just I went and been doing it ever since.
0: Tim, rewind the reel back a little bit and talk to me about maybe your drinking habits or your using habits. And explain to listeners what is an opiate user, right? Talk to me how much you drank and how much you used and, and, and maybe the progression into that amount.
1: Yeah, sure. I, I I definitely drank a lot. It starts just like everybody else, you know, I started young. I think the first time I, I got high, I was summer of seventh grade or maybe there was this bridge in my neighborhood that we used to hang out at. And um, I remember that being the first time. And I've just always been one of those, um, I don't want to say that I was weird or not normal, you know, because I don't really know what that means. I, I don't really like when people say like, I wish I was just like, like normal people, because I don't I don't really know what a normal person is. But I've always had that sort of that hole that they talk about, that off thing about me. And I, I definitely relate to the progressive thing. My family is a bunch of big drinkers. Um, you know, most of my family is off the boat from Scotland. So they drink a lot of scotch and a lot of tea. And it's just what we do. You know, it's, it's, it's part of family get togethers. And uh, so I I, I I saw that as a means for celebration early on, but I think I was just a little bit more experimental than the rest. Um, opiates, especially, just have a... The thing about opiates is they work really fast, you know, it's like they never say there's no such thing as a, as a, a, an old heroin addict, you know, because they just, they move really fast and they kick in that obsession. And it's it's tough, man. Like, with opiate withdrawal, it's it's no wonder that's why I can really relate to people when they're stealing or doing really terrible things um, to get their next fix, because it's not you like the, the withdrawal from opiates just makes you do really, really crazy things.
0: Tim, back to when you were in the room in Philadelphia, it sounds like with your uncle and, and your family members and they were talking to you, you said there was no fight. I believe it is extremely important for somebody to reach that point. And it's ironic when you stop fighting and you actually surrender and give up it is kind of when you're ready to go. Talk to me about how that moment could have been, you know, the turning point. And what if, what if you did fight, right? If you're like, well, you know, I, I think I got this for another couple of months. Like, let me try this plan on my own. <laughs> how important is it to just stop fighting?
1: Well, you know, I'm, I'm super grateful for that moment. Cause I I don't want to make it seem like, you know, I was, I've always been really defiant. And it was funny, at the middle of the time, I had a carpentry business, and I was actually right in the middle of a job. Uh, It was a job that I worked really hard to get. And I was really proud of it. And I was spending a lot of time on it. And so that was kind of my thing. I was like, okay, I'll go right after I finish this job. And then it it didn't take a lot of convincing. But I I completely agree. Because when you hit that, I've always been really grateful, because I've never had that denial thing that I see a lot of people relapse over where they're just convinced, maybe they don't even know about it, but somewhere in the back of their head, you know, one day I'll be able to do this like everybody else. And maybe some of them can. I've actually seen a couple examples where, you know, people get clean, maybe get a couple, (laughs) a couple years, um, decide that they don't want to do it anymore. Just maybe they had to get their shit together, you know, and, and, and that's up to them. But for me, I've just always known, I always knew that I've reacted differently to alcohol and to drugs and that if I ever were to pick up one, I'd, I'd pick them all up. And so I'm, I'm grateful for that, that bottom that, that you and I are talking about because it's, it's, it's helped me a lot because I don't have that, that battle in my mind back and forth. You know, for me, it's just a done deal.
0: Tim, I want to talk to you about something that you just mentioned. You said the off thing about me. And this is a communal disease, a communal issue, because I understand that 100%. There was always an off thing about me. When I first had my very first drink in seventh grade, I knew that off thing about me had now been fixed i didn't mm-hmm. feel off anymore, I felt part of something, and I was on a magical chase to find that feeling ever since. Talk to me about that You're, you you know about the off thing about me
1: yeah it's it's a tough one to explain it's it's one of those things where like I can't tell you what it is, but like I can tell you when other people know what i'm talking about, you know because i I was always just i was good at sports you know like i'm 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 pretty tall i Excelled in a lot of things I do, but I just felt so uncomfortable all the time. If I was around people, like I wasn't sure if I should talk, and then I would say something and feel stupid because I said something. And so the next time I would say, like, you know what, I'm just going to be quiet. And then I would just be like the quiet kid in the corner. No matter what I did, I just had a real hard time being comfortable with myself. And I think that's, I think that really is the same thing as when uh, a 12 step program will talk like the spiritual malady i think i think it's all kind of the same thing where you're just not really sure what's going on inside of you it, it, it took a while for me to get there and even when i when i got clean it didn't happen right away like you have to actively work on discovering yourself and i tell you what like there's a couple things that i'm really grateful for in life one of them is that i sleep pretty decent and another one is that i I know myself a lot better now that I that I don't drink or, or drug anymore cuz it's it's exhausting, you know, when when you don't when you know that there's something wrong with you but you just don't know exactly what it is, it's really really exhausting and it keeps you up at night. So I'm just like <laughs> I'm thrilled I don't have that in my life anymore.
0: Oh, it's beyond exhausting. The wheels are spinning and there is no traction and you're always trying to solve the problem. But the problem for me was an addiction. To alcohol, but I would try to you know get traction and be like, oh, you know, I I think it's my anxiety, right? And I should probably go on, on Valium or Xanax Uh because that'll solve the anxiety problem. When it, it, you know, the, the common core denominator was the alcohol, and it just never really addressed that. But, but Tim, talk to me about five years ago. Not only are you sober, but you are kicking major ass in recovery and we'll get to that later. I'm excited. But tell me about what it was like 5 years ago when you first quit drinking. What can listeners expect when they quit? Talk to me about the first 24 hours, first 3 days, first week, Oof. first month, first 5 years, and take your time on this one.
1: That's tough. The the first month the the first month is definitely something. That's why I'm a treatment advocate because you just have no idea what's going on. Like you almost need to be in a supervised position no matter how independent you think you are or how much you you think you don't need anybody because it's it's dangerous and your your brain not even just your personality but your brain itself is just doing things that you you can't control so the first 30 days were pretty standard I guess in terms of what treatment was like I went to a, a facility outside of Philadelphia it was um it was a, a really great small facility. My counselor is a guy that I, I still keep in touch with. He just cared so much, and I related to him so much. And he was like, I don't know, there's just something about that man that I, I really, really respected and looked up to, and I still look up to him. The, the, the one memory that I always have in my first month is that my treatment center wasn't a, a, a treatment center like a lot of these other places were. It was in like an old Revolutionary War underground railroad building. It was more like a house that some guy just bought and turned into a real small facility. And so this little house was next to a giant soybean field. And I was spending most of my time not out in the suburbs, uh, just really around concrete and noise and buses and trains and all that. And about two weeks into it, I went to rehab in September. And I remember seeing this field change colors because of the change of the seasons. I just remember seeing like, man, like I haven't paid attention to anything beautiful in a while. And that was sort of a a good moment for me. But really treatment for me is just about getting through it and just and cleaning out. And I definitely learned a couple of tools. You know, I, I started openly talking about what I believed in and what I didn't believe in. And I definitely didn't, you know, discover much in treatment, but I was able to at least start having the conversation with myself. And the first year for me was really, really difficult. I uh, moved to Florida from Philadelphia because just my surroundings in Philly weren't, it was going to be tough for me there. So I moved to Florida, I did the halfway house thing and I was dead broke. I walked around with peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in my book bag. I had this job where I would take a bus every day and I would front phone calls through like a predictive dialer and pretty much get hung up on all day and have people scream at me and I just kept doing it. I think I was making like 350 bucks a week and I just I just made it, you know? You just have to you just have to keep doing it. There's no there's no secret to it. It's it's really like a a, a thing of attrition where you just have to keep doing it every day keep getting your supports. keep talking to people and just keep waking up in the morning and just getting dressed and getting out the door. And eventually things got easier, man. Like they really did. I was able to, uh, buy this Jeep that was, (laughs) it was, it was a real piece of shit, but it was awesome. It had these real big tires. It only went like 40 miles an hour. So I couldn't drive it on the highway, but driving around in this Jeep with the doors off and the top off, in Florida, like I would really start to just appreciate the little things again. And uh, then I had like some transportation, I was able to do some things. And then after that, uh, I was able to get another sales job. And I was sort of making some money. And then it was at that point when I started the sober nation website that I guess we'll talk about. But um, you just keep chipping away at it. Like, that's, that's the message. It's always the message that I try to tell people that are are frustrated because things aren't happening fast enough for them now that they're in recovery because it's not supposed to you know it's supposed to take time it's supposed to take work because if it were free and if it were easy then everybody would do it but it's not free and it's not easy it's it's really just about doing a little bit every day and just continuing to move forward
0: Tim, talk to me about this. You just said there is no secret to it. And I agree 100%. This is attrition, right? This is in a marathon. It's not a sprint. And talk to me about that, right? So you have got to be in this for a long haul. And it, and changes aren't going to happen in the first week, month, right? They've, they've got to put in the time.
1: Yeah. there's. I find that to be just universal that's just a law of the universe whether in your recovery not in recovery with anything that's worth having in life it it's like the universe rewards stamina you know it doesn't necessarily reward like fast sprints and all that stuff it just it rewards stamina and that's that's just been a real focal point for me even outside of being a recovery just in my life because it's it, it there, there's there's a, a point To it being hard because every like little tiny battle that you get through you're building character and then the next battle that might be a little bit harder you know that okay well I was able to do this one so I can probably do this one and then you just slowly build confidence and you slowly build self-esteem because just just imagine if all of a sudden you got clean and then 30 days into it all of a sudden you just had all the confidence and all the self-esteem in the world like (laughs) who knows what would happen that's just not the way it's supposed to go. It's, it's supposed to be slow. It's supposed to be progressive. Um, and I like it better that way, you know, because it's all about growth and like the journey, you know, there's a couple of things that I'll talk to new guys about. One of them is definitely uh, about taking your time. And on top of that is that they have to appreciate it, you know, because when you don't appreciate it, all of a sudden you wake up and 10 years have gone by and, you don't really have any great memories or anything to, to cherish. But when you just appreciate every little moment and try to enjoy the journey, whether it's a hard journey or an easy journey, whatever, uh, when, when, you take it in that approach, like life is just better for me at least. I can't speak for everybody, but I think life's better that way.
0: Universe rewards stamina. I'm going to be using that quote for a long time. And Tim, <laughs> I appreciate it. It's, it's amazing. I love it. And, and, Talk to me about comfort zone, right? I did a podcast, I think it's episode two or three, about how you must get outside your comfort zone if you want to achieve this whole recovery sobriety thing. And it sounds like you moved from philly where all your family and friends and your comfort zone was you moved to florida right because you realized it probably wasn't going to happen in philly getting sober you went to a halfway house right That probably wasn't too comfortable for you but had that move not happened you might not have gotten sober so talk to me about how you have to get outside your comfort zone if you want to reach sobriety
1: yeah you uh, you absolutely 100 percent have to um it's tough to explain these things that you've, I've just learned on my own, you know, because now that I'm sitting here having a conversation with you, like I, I'm realizing that I don't necessarily know the words. It's just life lessons that like I, I understand inside myself to be true. But <laughs> I'm a big Tupac fan. And Tupac said that, uh, or maybe somebody else before it said it, I don't really know. But he said, if you ain't growing, you're dying. And that's just true with everything, with all life, with people, with plants, whatever. Once you stop growing, then you start dying. And growth is painful. It's uncomfortable. You know, if you want to be at the gym, um, if, if you're, you're trying to grow in any way, like it's just not supposed to be comfortable. So the way I always equated it to is if you're comfortable, then you're, you're not doing anything, like you're falling behind. Because it's like walking up a down escalator. You know, like there's always something pushing against you and getting past that is really uncomfortable and it's supposed to be. And I, I, I enjoy it. Like, I guess I'm fortunate in that regards that being outside of my comfort zone doesn't really bother me that much. I, I, I kind of get a rush out of it. But um, for other people, I, I, I find that happen really more than anything with people's recovery, where they just hit a point where they say, you know what? I'm good here. I'm going to milk this one. I'm going to ride it out because it feels nice. And then lo and behold, you know, maybe they relapse, maybe they don't, but usually they don't achieve or I I, I don't want to stereotype people, but I'm just saying in my experience I've seen that a lot where people get stuck in their comfort zone and then they wake up 2 years later and they say, "Oh, like I'm not where I want to be in my life and in my recovery."
0: I've witnessed the same many times. And and Tim, I am so glad you brought Tupac into this podcast. I really am. And and I was hoping... It was his
1: birthday the other day. We were blasting Tupac at the office, like dancing around like idiots.
0: Oh, I love it. I love it. I was hoping you were going to say the Tupac quote, that's just the way it is. And actually, that's sure. not Tupac. That's Bruce Hornsby, who wrote that song originally. But that mm. is a quote in my recovery, and in my life. That's what I say. I'm like, Paul... That's just the way it is. And in the, in, in my mind, the piano starts and then Tupac, you know, comes in, starts rapping. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it, it talked to me about the plan because we've all have these grandiose plans and mine involved the NFL. Then I stopped growing at five foot nine. Oh, and I also nice. became an alcoholic, right? Talk to me about how you just need to accept that's the way it is right now before any progress can be made.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, my plan when I was a kid to be a skateboarder I skated all the time I was I was pretty good at it and then my plan was to be at a band and I practiced with my band like three or four times a week and we, we were pretty successful I was still in high school but all things considering like we had a, a fun little run at it and then I started doing carpentry and my plan was to be a carpenter and then I came down here and my plan was to be a salesman and then my plan was to start the sober nation website and truth is that failed like three or four times before I was able to actually understand what it is I was doing. So after all of that, I've kind of just learned that there's a balance between having your plan and sort of letting like the, the universe and the flow of energy sort of take you because that's more powerful than me. You know, like I can't fight that one. So I have to in some capacity be able to let go and just not stick to my plan too much and just sort of take take life where it's going to take me. In the same respect, it's definitely important for me to have somewhat of a plan and to have goals and like to have benchmarks because then I always have something to strive for. But it's, it's definitely a balance, you know, like if you're just sticking 100% to a plan, it's not going to work. And if you're just too much with, oh, you know what, like I'm just going to do, I'm just going to go where life takes me, then I think you're probably lacking discipline. So... Balance is something that I struggle with a lot, you know, like I can sit here and I can talk to you about it like I'm an expert, but I have a really, really hard time with balance. But I find that on the days when I'm more balanced are the days when I'm a lot less restless and a lot more content.
0: And that's a good segue into Sober Nation, actually. And before we even get there, Tim, I need to say thank you. I need to say thank you because there was a time before September 7th where it's about one fifty 150 to one fifty-eight a.m. in the morning, and gas stations close at 2 a.m. where you can't buy alcohol after 2 a.m. And I was reading a Sober Nation blog post. I don't remember which one it was because there's that haze of drinking but it got me past the 2 a.m. mark. So I need to say thank you for this vital resource that has been critical in my recovery. And again, a couple podcasts ago, I I tried to mention Sober Nation, but just didn't quite do it justice. So that's when I reached out to you and got the ball rolling here. So Recovery Elevator, I'd like to welcome Tim from Sober Nation to the (laughs) podcast. Why don't you tell us about Sober Nation, the inception, and what it's all about?
1: Well, you know, I... First off, that's, that's super flattering. I, it's the weirdest thing when I have people come up to me or if I get Facebook messages because I just like to write, you know, and that's really what it was for me. And then just to hear that, like, there's people that, that you affect that There's a lot of people, you know, like maybe I, I underappreciate how much reach the website has at this point, but it's still just really humbling to hear that. So, so thank you. And you know what, in order to tell you the whole Story behind how it all came—we we would need a couple hours. Short version is uh, one of my best friends. Uh, his name is Corey. He—I was always a, a writer. You know, when I got clean, I just started writing because it was just a good coping mechanism for me, and I just did it my whole life. I would always bring notebooks around, and he just had this idea. He was working at a um an like a phone room selling advertisements, and then you would print out the magazine ad and you would put it in country clubs. So people that were golfing would just pick up the book and read it and you know maybe call your business if you bought an ad or whatever. And we were driving back from a, um, geez, what was it? I think it was a, a Flyers game because the Flyers were playing the Panthers, the the hockey team. And we're driving back from that. And it's like, dude, I had this idea. When I sell these golf ads, there's this website that lists every single golf country club in the nation and like I would click on them and that's where I would find businesses that they would call. And I was like, you know what man, that's so funny. I had this idea too, because I've been, I was writing a lot and I started my blog. And so he said, well, why don't we make a directory full of resources? And I said, okay. And on top of that, like, why don't we try to build a community around it and with content and with social media. And that's just how it started. And it's, it's changed a lot since then. Um, Me and Corey over the years have, I guess, gotten a lot better at the craft of writing, and uh, he's gotten a lot better in his his art, which is developing and, and coding, and it's just it's it's just turned into something that I honestly say I, I never expected it to, and now it's it's pretty much my life. I mean, I, I wake up, I work on it, I, I talk to people every day, I learn I learn about a lot of people, which is the crazy thing, and genuine appreciative relationships from people that message me or message the Facebook page that I talk to with how excited they are when they get their year to send it a picture that I'll post like, Hey, congratulations to Jenny or whatever for her one year sober and and all the hundreds and thousands of shares and comments and likes that that one little picture will get. And then I'll get a message later from that same girl that says like, Oh my God, like, I can't believe all these people saw my picture. Like, thank you so much. And I'm just, I'm just some guy, you know, it's not me doing it. It's, it's the community that really we've built. And I, I try to make sure that we put the community first because that's sort of what it was supposed to be in the beginning. And that's what it needs to continue to be. But just looking back on it on the last four years, it's been such a ride. It's been it's been such a trip, really. I, I, I'm just extremely grateful that I'm able to, to do this with my life.
0: Now, Tim, I've got the website bookmarked, but how can listeners find Sober Nation? Is it SoberNation.com? How can they find your website, your blog, your Facebook page? How do they find you on Twitter?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we have pretty much every social network covered. That's really my department. If you're just looking for the site, it's www.sobernation.com. If you go to the Facebook page, um, we have close to 200,000 followers now so if you want to go directly to it it's just facebook.com/ sobernation uh, same with Twitter but I think the Twitter handle is sober underscore nation there was uh, some really low-key like hip-hop duo that uh, that had the original one and, and they were cool man I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna take it from them so I let them keep it so the Twitter is sober underscore nation and then if you want to get crazy like we got the Pinterest the Reddit the Tumblr, um, got a LinkedIn page. I, I do a lot of that stuff.
0: Now, Tim is a blogger by day, and he's also a t-shirt model by day and night. Talk to me <laughs> about New Life Clothing, right? It, it's this apparel that you wear with pride. You rock these shirts saying, yeah, I'm sober and I don't partake in, in, in drug use and in drinking. And talk to me about how it's probably breaking down that social stigma of, of being an addict, right? And tell me about New Life Clothing, how we can purchase this clothing, the website. Tell me all about that.
1: Yeah, and it's so funny too because I just got done telling you about how Sober Nation sort of just naturally turned into something. And that's a lot when New Life happened. New Life was just kind of a, a project Like a little side project with me and one of my best friends, Josh, who started it about a year and a half ago. And I didn't know anything about it. I had no idea what I was getting my hands into. I probably wasted a lot of money just making mistakes, which is the way it's supposed to happen. You know, I don't regret any of it. He was just always into fashion and he was always into t-shirts and he's sober too. He's one of my best friends. And I was a little bit on the opposite end. Like I said, I like doing the writing and the pictures and the marketing. And so like our first two designs, my sister drew for us and we were just messing around. Like, honestly, we we're just messing around with it. And then eventually I built a site and we made an Instagram and same thing before we knew it, like six months into it, we had sold to every continent. We'd sold to a couple dozen countries. And I, 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 I do take a lot of pride in the designs themselves because it's important to me that I'm not shoving like recovery down people's throats. The the designs don't scream like I am sober on them. Um, they're a little bit more subtle. Like the high on life design um, is a good example where sure, there's a, uh, a reference there because you're high on something, but you're not high on anything. You're just high on life. Like you're happy to be alive. Um, you know, the survivor design is, is much of the same. It's a, a ship that's sort of supposed to resemble... A ship getting through like troubled waters, you know, and it says survivor on the top. So none of our designs scream out sobriety. But at the same time, I I spend a lot of time on them to make sure that they're cool, that people like them. They appeal definitely most likely to a younger market. And yeah, like it's, it's about turning a culture. It's about turning recovery into a culture and something that people can identify with. And I just think that fashion is a really big way to do that because whether you're into fashion or not like what you wear matters and what you wear is a way to express yourself and I just I just wanted to do it and then same exact thing a year and a half later I look at it now and (laughs) it's it's almost a full-time job.
0: Tim, this whole website is about creating accountability and I want you, I want to create some accountability with you. Please send me a t-shirt and I will actually send me a tank top. Will you send me a tank top that I can rock, take a photo and put it on the Recovery Elevator Facebook page and website?
1: You got it, buddy. I'll send you a, I'll send you one of each of the tank tops. Not a problem.
0: Well, it looks like you're going to get one of each of the photos on our website now. So <laughs> I nice. love it and I will rock it. Recovery Elevator, this is just one dialogue that I am having with Tim. One of many that will happen in the future because I love his new life clothing. I love Sober Nation. I love the Facebook page, the resources. I think we are going to continue to work together in the future. So stay tuned. You'll probably see more of Tim and more Recovery Elevator and Sober Nation working together. Now, Tim, we have reached the rapid fire round. And please answer these questions within 30 to 60 seconds. But if you go over, since you are kind of the guru on recovery, not a problem. Are you ready, Tim?
1: Sure. But I'm definitely not a guru on recovery. I just do the best I can, man. It's weird to hear you say that.
0: Well, perception is reality and my perception is you are. so
1: <laughs> I appreciate it.
0: Here Thank we go. You. Number one. Ready. What was your worst memory from drinking or using?
1: My sister, I, I love my sister dearly. she's probably my, my best friend. We've been through a lot together. I was living in a, um, an apartment with my girlfriend in in Northeast Philly and uh, when the door was locked, I saw her this uh, I showed her this way to get in through the back window. And uh, I came home from walking my dog and she was sitting in my living room and I had all these rolled up dollar bills and it was just a mess. And she never said anything about it, but like, you know, it was glaringly obvious that there was drugs all over the place. And uh, she just kind of, I forget what she needed. She asked me something and she just gave me a hug and then just walked out the door and God, that sucked. I just felt like the worst person ever.
0: And what's your plan in sobriety moving forward?
1: This, this goes a lot. We just talked about it. I try not to have too many plans. I just want to continue growing. I'm happy here in Florida. I'd like to maybe try out Colorado in the next year or two. I think that'd be cool. Uh, there's an organization, Young People in Recovery, that I'm I'm involved with. And uh, there's a guy, Justin, that was out there. And I, I think about think about checking that. But really, just, just chipping along. I want to get involved with the colleges. That's probably next for Recovery and Sober Nation. Because I find that a lot of these kids that are having trouble are dropping out of college and then they're screwed because they lose their education. They owe a bunch of money that they never actually got a degree out of. And I want to try to find a way to help these college kids. I think that's what's next.
0: And Tim, what is your favorite resource in recovery?
1: The one that impacted me the most was the 12 and 12, especially uh, step six and seven, because I was extremely arrogant. And after I read that, that was when I had that sort of white light moment that a lot of people talk about, where um, I just I understood the man that I wanted to be and the man that I wanted to become, and so I I, I lean on that a lot. But really, my my resources is my mentor. He he was my sponsor, but our relationship has kind of grown past that. And so if I'm ever feeling squirrely, if I'm ever in a jam, like I go to him for everything. he's, he's the man.
0: Tim, in regards to sobriety, what's the best advice you have ever received?
1: Uh, Something that my sponsor actually told me, just make it to midnight. And I actually got it kind of tattooed on me because it's it's good life advice as opposed to just sobriety advice. But I think most importantly for recovery, because no matter how bad your day is going or whatever you got to do, you just got to make it to midnight and then you can wake up and a new day starts. He always used to tell me, just go to sleep. Just get to sleep before you get high. And I've just found that that's the easiest way for me to do it. Because I can't control what's going to happen tomorrow or in two weeks or in a couple of years. But I can always control what I do with myself right now. And when I just try to stay in the moment and a day at a time, I, I, I work a lot better. So I... That's definitely it.
0: Great advice from your sponsor. Question five, what is your advice to listeners who are thinking about quitting drinking or are in early recovery?
1: It's more really more of a suggestion and it's about fear. I think the biggest lesson I've learned in recovery is what fear is and how it controls us. And fear is always present when you're looking into the past about something that freaks you out or when you're looking into the future. And fear is very rarely present when you're just right here, right now. Because right at this moment, like everything's good. You know, there's air. I I can breathe. I I got people around me that love me. I mean, you might have problems in your life. Everybody does. But all things considering, in the present moment, there's not too much to be afraid of. And so I've, I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about fear and how I used to let fear control me because I was scared of what might happen or what might not happen or what did happen. And once I, I just decided that I was going to live in the moment and to do the best that I can right here, right now, then that all, for the most part, went away. You know, like I still have fears. Of course I do, but I, I fear doesn't control me like it used to.
0: Tim, my chances of staying sober for the next 24 hours have drastically increased after speaking with you. I want to say thank you so much for joining us on the Recovery Elevator podcast.
1: But yeah, I, I appreciate it so much. This has been a blast. I can't wait. Like I seriously cannot tell you how excited I am to, to continue moving forward with the stuff that we're going to work on. I think it's going to help a lot of people. I think that you're uh, an inspiration as well, and I'm just extremely excited to get your voice out there.
0: Thank you so much, Tim. This is going to be really fun. As Tim just mentioned, we are both excited to be working together, collaborating, moving forward in one synergy, one motion towards helping a lot of people get sober and stay sober. Recovery elevator, you took the elevator down, you gotta take the stairs back up, you can do this.